I want to read a few verses that, that we didn't read earlier in the story, taken from Matthew's Gospel. Matthew chapter 27, beginning in verse 27. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. You know, nobody excelled at political theater quite like the Romans did. They turned it into an art form. From triumphal arches that they built, really to to celebrate the conquering of walled cities, showing that there was no wall that the Romans couldn't break through, to the worship of their emperors. Rome did not ever miss an opportunity to underscore her imperial authority and her supremacy. Not even in the execution of an obscure prisoner for sedition. This is what's going on in the, in the praetorium that day. The soldiers knew the score. Jesus had claimed to be king, and he was to die for that offense against Caesar. To make a point of the ridiculousness of his claim, the soldiers decided to play a game of pretend with him. Kind of like dress up in dad's closet. Only it was not a nice game. They, they dressed him up with a, with a royal robe. They gave him a crown and a scepter. But the robe was a Roman soldier's cape to show who was really in charge. And the scepter was a rough wooden staff. The only ones who would wield it that day were the soldiers who would beat Jesus with the sign of his own pretended authority. This rough abuse, along with spit and mockery, was the honor that Rome gave to pretend kings. What I want you to consider, though, tonight is the crown that they gave Jesus that day. You know, throughout the ancient world, crowns were a universal symbol of royalty. Caesar himself wore a crown. The plated leaves of the laurel cast in precious metal, a symbol both of of his victory over the world and actually of his divinity. In mocking contrast, Jesus' crown was twisted together from thorns. Now we, of course, when we read that, we we focus on, on the pain that those thorns would have caused Jesus as they were pressed into his brow. And, and no doubt the soldiers did intend this crown of thorns to cause Jesus pain, physical pain. But, you know, they'd already flogged him to within an inch of his life. They were about to nail him to a cross. 
seems to me that mere physical pain wasn't really what they were after at this moment. It seems to me that they were after a pain that would do far more than pierce his skin, a pain instead that was meant to pierce a man's pride. And so they sent someone to search for thorns. They would have had to send him, and he would have had to search. Nobody cultivates thorns. And they are in the middle of a palace, in the middle of a city. They would have had to look for these. But when they had found this most worthless of plants, they took its cruel leaves, and they crowned what seemed to them a worthless man with worthless claims. In fact, nothing, nothing could have been more fitting for Jesus that day. The Roman soldiers did not realize what they were doing. But God did. For Jesus did not claim the throne of Rome. Jesus did not claim the throne of of any human kingdom. His claim was far greater than that. Jesus and his claim, it was over the whole world. Over all of creation was his claim of kingship. And for that claim, the only crown that would do was a crown of thorns. Why do I say that? I say it because thorns have their own storyline in the Bible. I don't know if you've thought about this. Throughout the scriptures, thorns are are a symbol. They are a proverb for futility and for pain. Wherever God's blessing has been withdrawn, wherever his curse is found, there thorns abound. They're a picture of unfruitfulness. They, they are a picture of desolation. They, they choke out and smother good plants. They, they block the path of the wayfarer. They are a source of frustration and trouble. And in scripture, they are only good for burning. And it's no wonder. For the origin of thorns was not on day three of creation when, when God made all the rest of vegetation. Now, the origin of thorns was on day one of the fall. When God created the world, he created it good. It was not a place of thorns. The Bible tells us that he created all kinds of of vegetation as food for for animals and, and for people to eat, to provide for them. The Bible also tells us that he created us. He created mankind to act, to, to live as kings. Not, not the ultimate king, that was God, but, but as vice regents, lesser kings, to rule the world under his supreme lordship. We weren't meant to be independent authorities, we were meant rather to rule as, as stewards underneath God. But Adam and Eve, our first parents, our, our representatives, the, the two best examples of the human race that have ever lived and who stood there for all of us, They were not content to rule under God's authority. They were not content 
to accept the provision that he had given them. They, they were not content to administer his rule. They would rather be king and queen by themselves. They would provide for themselves. They would decide for themselves. And so they rejected God's command not to eat from from the one tree out of all the trees they provided, not to eat from from the one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They decided that that was the fruit that they wanted most. So they reached out and they took it. And the truth of the matter is all of us have been doing the very same thing ever since. Making up our own rules. Providing for ourselves whatever meaning to life we choose. Now our our empires aren't large. Unlike Adam and Eve, we make no claim to be rulers of the world. Just rulers of ourselves. But wherever our rule holds sway, even in the tiny kingdom of self, just like Caesar, we brook no rivals. Not even God. In response to Adam and Eve's rebellion, God cursed the productive and life-giving world that he had made. And on that day, something new appeared from the ground. In return for Adam's painful toil, Genesis chapter 3 verse 18 tells us that the ground would now produce thorns and thistles. In addition to all the good plants that God had already created. You see where I'm going. Here is the symbol. Here is the fruit of Adam's rebellion. Kind of the the one new thing in creation that he could claim as the result of his rule. It's really a perfect match. Like its symbol, Adam's autonomous rule. In fact, for all of us, this autonomous rule of mankind, the, the independent rule of my own heart, has produced nothing really but pain. A history of suffering and futility. Our rule as rebellious human beings has proved about as worthy as the crown that it created. Friends, if that's the story of thorns, that's what thorns are all about, a crown for us and our rebellion. How in the world could it be fitting that Jesus could wear such a crown? Here here stood the the incarnate Son of God, fully God and and fully man, the, the creator of the world in his divinity. Absolutely sinless and perfect in his humanity. And so doubly undeserving of such a cursed diadem. It was his throne, after all, that had been assaulted by Adam. It was his word that had been doubted by Eve. It was his mouth that had spoken the curse from which the thorns came. How could it be fitting 
that he now wear the symbol of the curse and even worse, suffer its execution. Friends, there is no reason except for love. In love, God decided that the story of thorns would end at the cross. Out of his sheer grace, out of his incredible mercy, even as he spoke the curse, the father had already planned to send his son to take the curse upon himself. Even even as he caused thorns to spring up from the ground, the son had already decided to wear them on his brow as our substitute. And so when the time was just right, the son of God put aside his heavenly glory. He put aside the crown that does not fade and he took on flesh. And then as Jesus Christ, the true and only king of the world, put on our crown and suffered the wrath of God that you and I and every other rebel pretend king deserves. We tried to take his crown. He willingly wore ours. And by wearing that crown and suffering its fate, Jesus Christ brought the reign of thorns to an end. For everyone who repents of their sins, for everyone who puts their faith in Jesus, Jesus not only suffered as our substitute, paying the penalty that we deserved, but he also reigned as our king, rescuing us from sin's curse, bringing us into his glorious kingdom, a new creation where thorns do not grow and brows are not pierced. A kingdom where finally we who have put our faith in him will wear crowns. Thankfully, not crowns of our own making, but crowns of his making. Crowns of of righteousness, which we will then gladly throw at his feet, the rightful owner of every single one of them. Friends, on that day, we will see Jesus not as he appears here, crowned with our deadly crown. No, we will see Jesus crowned with glory and honor because, as the writer to Hebrews tells us, he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. By the grace of God, we might live. This is why Good Friday is so very, very, good. Let's pray. Lord, the magnitude of your love, the the, the stupendous nature of your grace, 
that, that you would determine before the foundation of the world to, to not just overlook our rebellion, but, but to willingly stand in our place and taste the death that we deserve. Lord, that doesn't humble us like it should. It, it, it doesn't capture our minds and our hearts like it should. Father, we pray that you would give us eyes to, to see the beauty of Christ crucified. We pray that you would give us hearts that are soft to feel the love of Christ displayed on the cross that we might turn to him, that we might know the forgiveness that he alone offers and so be reconciled to you. Oh Lord, allow us to live with that love ever in our sight. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.